Welcome to The Last Best Ski. I'm in Bozeman grabbing coffee with Nordic skier and North Face mountain athlete Erica Flowers. Erica shares her transition from pro athlete to making the balance training, racing, and working full-time and having a blast in the mountains. So my name is Erica Flowers. Um, I grew up in Bozeman, Montana and skied for the Bridger Ski Foundation um, for a number of years and then uh, went on to ski for Dartmouth College for four years um, before joining a professional team based out of Southern Vermont called the SMST Team. I raced full-time for them uh, for six years professionally and then I moved back out to Bozeman and I still, still race. Um, but not full-time, so work, work part most full-time and then um, also ski as much as I can. I think there's something pretty special about being able to be a full-time athlete. I mean, you basically get to do the thing that you love kind of 100%. Like everything that you're doing is focused around that, um, which is amazing and also really challenging um, because you don't ever get to turn it off. It's different than a job where you're in the office from 9 to 5 and then you kind of unplug and go home and to have the rest of your life going on. So um, while it was a huge gift, at least for me, to be able to do that full-time for as long as I was able to, I think in some ways kind of working full-time and then doing kind of skiing as much as I can outside of it has been a, a different mindset in that skiing now is, it's, I just recognize it so much more as a privilege. It's not my job anymore. Um, and while I loved it as a job, I think I appreciate it even more now that it's, it's something that um, it's just more special because I don't get to do it all day every day and I think I recognize that and so anytime I'm going out skiing it's, it's because I really want to be out there not because coach said I should be or a training plan told me this is what I should be doing it's, it's much more self-motivated I think now. So last year I think my first year not skiing professionally I had a hard time kind of taking that step back. I loved skiing I didn't want to stop racing I just wasn't racing at a level that allowed me to justify continuing to do it full-time and so um, my first year out, I, I think I was still kind of grasping for that feeling of, you know, being successful and racing fast. And um, last year, which was kind of my second year, I was like, okay, that didn't work as well. <laughs> and so instead, I was like, I'm just going to, I'm not going to think about skiing too much during the summer. Um, I really want to do this big running race. My sister had encouraged me to sign up for. So I'm just going to run a lot, do kind of all those big running adventures that I've never had a chance to do as a full-time skier and wrote my own training plan for the first time. And I think it was just a lot more running focused during the summer and then kind of pulling in the principles that I've learned from racing full time for so many years and from a lot of the coaches that I've learned from to kind of plan a training plan that allowed me to have a good day at the right. Definitely was not all on my own, holding some nutrition advice from a friend of mine, Stephanie Howe, and obviously Andy was helpful in that too. And then I think once I got to the fall, I, I was excited about skiing and excited about racing and had done some racing the year before. And so I kind of shifted more of my focus from, from running to, to roller skiing and doing kind of ski-specific training leading up into the fall. And to be honest, I had a terrible first set of races last year. I think I was like out of the top 30. Um, but it for me, it was a, a good learning experience because it was, okay, Erica, if you want to do this, is this still fun even when you're finishing 30th? And, at the end of the day, it was. It's like you're still out there racing and going hard, whether you're first or 30th. Like first is obviously great, but but it was still fun even when I was kind of skiing poorly. So, yeah, I would say more the the latter. I think that's been one of the nicest things about not racing full time is feeling like I have a little bit more freedom to do the quote kind of irresponsible training or, or just the more fun exploring. I think when when you're racing full time, there's a, so much that's going into it, and the fear of kind of messing up or overdoing or, or 
you know, going to a place to go to intervals and it's not, you know, the snow is bad or the grooming is bad and you just don't get a quality workout in, like you just can't afford to waste that when it's your full-time job. And I think when it's, when it's not your full-time job, there's a little bit more room for experimentation. And if you screw up a few times, it's, I don't, it's just, there's more flexibility in that. So I think definitely it's been a nice way to, I mean, both on the running front and the skiing front, just feel like I have the freedom to, to try some stuff I never did when it was something I was doing full-time. Even if you train and like you dial your training every day and it's perfect and you get the great conditions and great course and you match it to the train you want to, um, invariably you show up at race day and the courses change, the snow's bad, there's a terrible windstorm, it's it, anything. And I think having kind of more flexibility in, in the training has actually been really helpful in, in the racing as well and just made me realize that you know, even if things aren't perfect on race day, you can still have a really great day. Like there's a race that comes to mind last year in the Midwest before the Berkey in Minneapolis, it was a sprint race and it was on what was the World Cup, supposed to be the World Cup sprint course there. And I really wanted to have a good day there because I knew that those races were coming up at the end of March and, and I wanted to kind of test myself on that race course. Um, and I was sitting in the lodge and I somehow um, messed up my start time by an hour. Um, and I realized about 25 minutes before I was set to go do my qualifier that I was starting in 25 minutes, not an hour in 25 minutes. And I, there was nothing I could do at that point. So I threw my boots and skis on, had about yeah, 20, 25 minutes, skied easy for five, did one really hot lap and then just raced. And I ended up winning the qualifier, which like, I think it just goes to show you that as long as you can like have that mindset of. You know, it, you don't have to have X, Y, Z lined up to have a good workout or have a good race, but being able to, at the end of the day, I knew I needed to be warm to go fast and I needed to do something a little bit hard and just relax. And like, that's really the most important. So um, terrain and where you're going can be a little bit more variable. Dealing with some of that variability or, I don't know, adversity or, or changes when you're out exploring and doing other things has actually been really helpful for allowing me to go into a race environment which can often be stressful and things are changing quickly and you're trying to nail the wax or the skis um, to bring that kind of relaxed kind of happy mindset into racing as well. So I I actually was born in Missoula, Montana. Um, my family moved here. My dad got a job here when I was 10 or 11. Um, I wanted to be a theater buff growing up and so I moved here. There wasn't a theater program. It was devastating. Was it, were you in the Mozilla um, I was and I was like I was a I don't know I probably did 36 plays with them or something. I was obsessed with it. Um, so I came here and I was kind of devastated because they didn't have the same sort of theater. They didn't have the Missoula Children's Theater here. Um, granted I was 10 but it, it seemed very important at the time. Um, and my parents had, had knew two people in town, um, one family, and they had two girls um, that were my and my sister's age who were in the Bridger Ski Foundation Nordic program. And so I was having a hard time adjusting and they're like, well, we're gonna sign you up for this um, because you need to make some friends and like get to know people here. Um, so they signed me up for the, the ski program here and I loved it. I was lucky to, to join with a group of girls my age. I think there were, I don't know, 10 or 11 of us all the same age. Um, and at that point you don't even realize you're like ski training. It's just fun. Like you're just going out and skiing with like all your best friends. And, uh, I think that was something that was really magical. Also just about that era for BSF. Um, we just had a really great group of 
of young kids my age and particularly women who we all pushed each other really hard um, but we had a lot of fun doing it and I think that's kind of why I I love the sport from the get-go and I think it's honestly still why I love the sport is the the people who are in it and that I've met through it. I also think that it's Bozeman's a I don't know, kind of an outdoor and community-minded place, and so there's support for programs like that. Um, I think the reason that Bridger Ski Foundation has been around for so long and why you see other programs like MEA or, or CrossCut popping up is because there's a, a group of people here that loves this sport and wants to support it and sees the value in in having kind of outdoor recreation programs for the youth in, in Bozeman. And then obviously the weather, like the fact that we have a good winter here most years, not always, but, but most years still, um, has been really fortunate and I think helped kind of inspire a culture where people want to get outside in the winter time. Um, the access here is probably some of the best cross-country skiing access anywhere in the world. Um, it's on par with a lot of places in Europe that have skiing right out their back door. Like the fact that we have all the trails at Highland Glen and Lindley and now this year that's going to have snow making there that's right downtown of like a major, I don't know, urban, I guess, hub. Um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, like I can still go ski after work or before work um, and it's five minutes from my office. So I think that and the fact that not only kind of that network of trails in town, but all the trails up Sourdough, all of the trails up at Crosscut, um, Highlight, you know, up in Big Sky. I think just the fact that there's so much access around here makes it a really kind of ideal spot for a skier growing up. You know, kids after school can just go ski and we have kind of the trails and the access and the tools and the support to do it so I think end of last year was a, a weird end for a lot of people myself included um, like I was really looking forward to the that North American World Cup tour and was really disappointed to have that canceled as many were and then you know quickly in the context of everything going on globally that the importance of that became very small but um, I think in thinking about this year I guess the silver lining from this summer, so similarly in, in running and racing, there, I think I did one race this year. Um, there just hasn't been much on the calendar, and I think in order to keep people safe, they just haven't been able to do much. And I know for skiing, that race season is going to look a lot different as well. But um, in some ways, it goes back to that. It's an opportunity to explore like your backyard a bit more. So I've been on a ton of trails this summer running that I'd never been on, and it's because I wasn't, you know, traveling overseas for races or around kind of the region to, to jump in running races. I had many more weekends here and, and time here to kind of explore right out my back door. So I think at least for the U.S. it sounds like there's going to be a more kind of regional model of racing, um, which means that it'll be a lot easier to get to races, which is nice. Um, so I think I'm looking forward to that. I mean, like I said, racing is just fun no matter what. And so the chance to jump in a few more races will be nice. Um, I'd still love to get over to Europe. Um, that's that's kind of really one of my goals. Um, I don't know if it'll happen this year or not. I think it's going to be kind of everyone's figuring it out as we go. So not not putting all my eggs in that basket. But I think right now, looking forward to just jumping in, jumping in some more races locally, and um, hoping for a good ski season. <laughs> Whether it's racing or, or yeah, just getting out on some different train and different trails and. I had a bunch of friends and, and colleagues and kind of other people reach out wanting to get more into Nordic skiing. I think people realize that the barriers to it are a little bit less than, than an alpine skiing. You know, you don't have to buy a lift ticket that's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, which is nice. It's typically at a more affordable price point. Sometimes the equipment's easier to, less expensive and, and easier to get your hands on some used stuff. So 
I think I'm looking forward to kind of teaching some more people and, and getting more people excited about it because it is fun and you don't have to have you know a whole day to commit to get up to the mountain you know you can ski for an hour you can ski for three hours it's uh, i don't know i think that's it can be it's social in the same way that like going for a run or something can be kind of social the great thing about bozeman in particular is there are a lot of kind of resources out there um i think my first my first inclination if you're really just getting started you're not sure about it would just be to rent a pair of skis and and poles and boots and, and get a set up and sign up for one of the free clinics. So there's a number of free clinics that happen throughout the year. There's also paid clinics, but like Andy and I last year did one with Solomon, um, just at the town trails, um, which is a really great way to just like get started and be like, hey, what is this about? Is this fun? Is this something I wanna do? Um, I know British Ski Foundation hosts some also kind of paid clinics that are pretty low time commitment, a few hours on in the afternoon on a Sunday, but but that's really the, I'd say the, the best place to start. Just get some like introductory, you know, how do I put the skis on? How do I put the pools on um, to get started? And the fact that you can do it in town makes it super easy. Crosscut I know also has some kind of good options for kind of both paid and maybe also some learn to ski days too. Um, so that'd be where I'd start or like call up Andy or I'd be like, hey, take me out skiing. Um, but the nice thing is like, even with some very basic like first tips, it's the sort of thing that, you know, you can go out on your own. You don't have to have an instructor. I think, you know, yes, you can get hurt cross-country skiing and, and people do, but, you know, you're not moving as fast. And so the, the consequences are a lot less dire. And I think that's the nice thing about learning is just play around on it. Like half of being successful in cross-country skiing is just, you know, balance and like getting comfortable skiing on something that's a little more narrow than your traditional alpine ski. So. Um, that's where I'd start, I think. I'd encourage people to sign up for like an ongoing like class or, or training program. I say training lightly. It's it's more just kind of coaching and development. So same thing like Bridger Ski Foundation. I know Heidi McCoots has like a great adult program. They have a master's program as well that's kind of a wide range of abilities, but it's a little bit more structured in that, you know, it's not once every three months. It's like every week you're meeting kind of one to four days a week to go out and ski and, and learn. Um, it also includes kind of some more structured workouts. Um, so certainly that, signing up for the community races in town, like I think those ones are, are fun and there's no pressure, but it's a way to, you know, just get into the racing scene. Um, so that's kind of like the the next step. Um, the other thing is, is also incorporating some cross training. So like we go to Mountain Project and they have good kind of ski specific training classes. Um, but doing some strength as well, because I think skiing's aerobic, yes, but it's also, it's a power endurance sport. So so having some strength and especially like stability is super important. And if you're looking to kind of level up your, your abilities, that's another good way to kind of complement anything that you're doing on snow. Like obviously you talked to Andy, so he has like great resources to create a training plan where you don't necessarily have to have a coach, but you can go online. He like maps out a training plan for every day of the year. Um, but that's really where I think someone who has like pulling in someone who has a bit more experience to help like, you know, if you feel like you're kind of hitting a wall and wanting to kind of get to that next level can be 
really powerful just because they're going to think about things differently than you might be. I mean, I'm the same way in running. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing in running half the time. And at the end of this year, even though we didn't do any racing, I was like, you know, maybe next year is the time where I, I talk to someone who actually has more experience in this and can teach me, okay, this is what I have been doing. Like, what might you suggest that's, that's different or that I should try? Um, and then it's investing in kind of some, some higher end equipment, like, like in any sport, having like better skis is going to make it faster and more fun. Um, like it's, it's one of those things that I still am not perfect at feeling my skis, but, but it is when you put on a good pair, like it feels good. Um, and you still have to ski them. Like it's not just the skis are going to take you to the finish line faster, but, um, I think, yeah, investing in kind of some higher end equipment and, and wax and, and taking care of your equipment. Um, I'd say that's kind of like the, the next level as well. And then signing up for more races. Like, I don't know, in, for my, in my mind, it's like people spend a lot of time getting worked up for one race. And I just think it's so much more valuable, like do a bunch of them and like more shots on goal. You're going to learn something from everyone. And I think someone at some point said, you know, you, you learn more from the ones that don't go well than the ones that do. And I think that's really true. And it's hard to have that perspective at the end of it. But like, I almost get less out of a race that goes well than I do out of a race that goes poorly. Um, cause after a race that goes poorly, you're like, okay, you know, these are, why did that go poorly? And these are the reasons. And it gives you some direction for like, okay, these are the things I, I need to work on and, and focus on. I think that's one thing that I love about skiing is that it is, I mean, you can do it forever. It's, you know, generally less, um, taxing on your, I mean, taxing not the right word, but it's, you know, you're less likely to have joint problems and things like that. It's it's relatively friendly to the body, which is nice. Um, so I'm sure I will ski forever, um, assuming I still continue to enjoy it. Those have kind of always been my rules for, for skiing is, is it fun? Do I like it? Um, and then as far as the racing, is it, do I feel like I'm getting better? Um, and at some point I'm sure I will not be getting better, <laughs> but as long as I still like it, I think I'll still, I'll still race. I like being able to like push myself and, and figure out where those, that like, I don't know, that space is where you're like playing with the edge of what your your ability is and, and kind of trying to push it a little bit further and see if you can get a little bit more out of it. It's satisfying and, yeah. and even when you come up short, it's there's something, I don't know, rewarding about, about trying to get there. So yeah, probably forever. I don't know. I'm sure in the next few years, I probably won't be chasing around like the super tour as much. Um, but while Andy's coaching and he's there and it's still fun, I'll certainly be doing it. So some people finish skiing and they like racing full time and they just don't want to have anything to do with the sport. And I, I don't think I've, I've ever felt that way. I've just, I've always really liked it. And so I'll kind of keep doing it as long as that holds true. And maybe it's not even a race. Like maybe it's skiing across Yellowstone Park or, or doing the, someone's just telling me it was the Grand Traverse in Colorado on Rick skis. Like there's all sorts of different kind of adventures to be had that aren't necessarily just racing, but still challenging yourself in like a different way. When I was growing up here, I felt like, and we did it to ourselves, but you know, Nordic skiing was kind of the dorky sport. Like it wasn't super cool. Um, and people did it, but it definitely was not mainstream in any regard. Um, and I think what's been neat about coming back here 10 years later um, is that even in just the, the two years since I've been back, I feel like there is such a passion around cross-country skiing and Nordic skiing and getting involved. And I think it's one of those sports that I think, as I mentioned, it's, it's so accessible in a lot of ways. If you're in a place that has snow, if you're in a place like Bozeman, it's so accessible. 
and it's like it's so good for you like it's I think people are realizing you know taking care of their bodies and their selves and and you know staying healthy and getting outside is um, good both for kind of body and mind and so seeing kind of an energy around that and excitement and enthusiasm for skiing I think is one of the upsides of kind of the growth here and the the support for the sport and the trails in town um, I think what's hard is like all the housing on the what is it west side of town um, wasn't there when I was growing up like when we I grew up in, in Sundance Springs on the south side of Bozeman and we were the first house in that neighborhood and now it's like that's like blown up it's every lot is filled and um, the town is just I mean it's it's enormous <laughs> compared to what I grew up with and I, I understand I hear the people who get frustrated by that and want to keep Bozeman Bozeman because there's something really magical about a super small town community like that and um, and so that's definitely at times challenging to see it change so much you know there's more traffic there's more stoplights you know there's more pavement um, you know it, it changes the trailheads there's more people there but the flip side of that is that it also brings a lot of richness to Bozeman that we maybe didn't have to the same degree when I was growing up. People who look different and think differently and it brings jobs in. And, and like I could not have come back here when I was in high school and kind of had the sort of career that I have here now. And so that's, you know, my sister moved back here from Boston. She has a great job here. And that was just not a reality growing up. And so that's the flip side is it's, you know, we have, while, while much of the country and, and the world is, you know, going through some very challenging times right now, um, Bozeman has a really kind of bustling economy and community. And it, I mean, it's hard to say that that's, that's necessarily a bad thing either. So, you know, there's trade-offs as there are always with growth. I hope we can you know, continue to be thoughtful about the way we grow. Um, I think it's a desirable place. I can't blame people for wanting to move here. Um, and I think it's hard to be like, oh, locals only. It's like, well, you know, like people are gonna cut. You can't just say people can't come here. Um, so I think finding ways to, to welcome them here, um, but also be conscientious about the way that we're expanding and growing so we don't ruin the things that everyone does love about it. And I think that's possible. It's not easy, but I think it's, it's possible. I think there's some like good people working on it and, and I hope people continue to, to think about it in that way. Perfect ski season. I mean, perfect ski season is like, it snows in October and it stays snowy <laughs> until end of April. I, I, yeah, that first snow is my favorite and I love it when we can just get a good base going and then you have skiing the rest of the year. I think generally beginning of the year, you know, you're just getting on snow for Nordic skiing. And so I like to do a lot of like just kind of more exploratory Nordic skiing. I mean, it's fun to just go on rock skis and tromp up Bozeman Creek or something before the snow's great, or even go up Bridger before the lifts open. Um, I think that's just fun. I don't know, it's like playful, getting getting back used to being on sliding around on snow. Um, and then I get excited about the races kind of around Thanksgiving time and, and kind of putting in some good hard race efforts, ripping off the Band-Aid if you will, and then, um, Christmas is a nice time, or the holiday season, I guess, is a nice time. At least for me, I, I have two weeks off of work, which is such a gift um, to just put in a bunch of hours on snow. I, it's so nice to be able to wake up in the morning and just go ski for a few hours. I think the, the kind of thick of the race season is typically between January and, and March. And for me, it's a mix of kind of shorter races, you know, super tours, U.S. nationals, whatever that might be. Um, and then there's some really fun longer marathon races or more 
uh, kind of unique races. So whether you're doing the Boulder Mountain Tour in Sun Valley or the Berkey, um, or I know there's some fun ones that I've never done, but I'd like to do the alley-oop, I think, down in Colorado. Um, so some different, I don't know, kind of fun, unique events that, that I like to, to mix in there. I think those are fun for me and it, it keeps it fun remembering, okay, you know, the, the super tour scene, it's obviously really good racing, but it's uh, very, I don't know, just more serious because there's, you know, there's more riding on it for a lot of people. Um, not that those same things aren't riding on it for me, but I think it's less, I don't know, it's less consequential. Like if I, if I do well at them and it means I get to do some races over in Europe, that's awesome. I get to race more. If not, you know, I still come back and do the same thing on Monday I was going to do if they did go well. Like I still go back to work on Monday. Um, so that's, it, while fun, it's definitely a different vibe than if you go to like the Birkbeiner or you know, any other kind of more community local race where people are just psyched to be out there and maybe they've never done a ski race in their life and this is their first race and like that energy is so fun. So I think mixing kind of both of those is in my ideal season. And then I think around March and April, that's when I, I get excited to kind of get out and do a bit more exploring. So there's some of that in the middle of the season, usually every like other week or so. I just like going out for a long ski, but um, March and April, especially when like this race season's winding down, that's when it's fun to, you know, if the crust is setting up, start doing some crust cruising, just start doing some more kind of, I don't know, backcountry touring. I know they have kind of a hybrid between a backcountry ski and a Nordic ski. So getting out and kind of getting on some steeper stuff and, and checking out just some different zones that, you know, you might not get to when you're doing intervals around them later in the middle of the winter. I mean, this year, Andy and I had just one really phenomenal day up Beehive Basin. Um, and I, I'd crust creed up there previously, um, but this year, you know, the park was closed. So Fawn Pass, where we typically go, um, just wasn't an option. So Andy and I started looking into some other areas around Bozeman where we could get out. He did kind of much more exploring than I did actually, but um, we had one day at Beehive that was just like unbeatable. It had set up so perfectly the night before. Um, it was a bluebird day and it wasn't sun cupped at all. It was just like, just absolutely smooth. It was like the entire base Oh my was God. Yeah, it was like someone had groomed it, but with like a groomer that just it like smoothed butter or something. It was amazing. So that was the best. And the cool thing about that basin is, you know, you can kind of ski out on the, I guess when you're looking out on the left side where the sun hits it first. And so it's, it can be maybe a little like icy stiff at the beginning, but as soon as the sun hits it, it softens up just perfectly. And so you can, Kind of cruise the downhills and not have it be chattery just super smooth and buttery and then because the other half of the basin's in the shade just the way the sun comes up um, that side's still perfect when you're skiing out so you can i mean we were out there for probably five hours and it was like the same the whole time just that perfect butter because the way that the sun was hitting the snow so that was the best day i went up there a couple other times and and did some other kind of skiing up in uh like highlight area but that I think this last year was just I mean we were both just like kids we're like this is the best day ever <laughs> um so that was really fun and I mean in some ways that's just pure luck like you know I've had plenty of crusty days where it's just terrible and you have to turn around and go to something else how, how do you even figure out if it's going to be good or not I mean, typically what you need is a good kind of freeze-thaw cycle. The same thing you look for in alpine skiing with like a, a good corn cycle. It's pretty similar. Um, you know, you want it to get below 
below freezing or at least close to it be pretty clear the night before um, and do that for a couple a couple of days but in some ways it's also a crapshoot like it could do that and you know be totally sun cupped if you waited too long or or you'll be waiting waiting for it to set up and then it'll snow again and then you have to wait so it's that's I think what makes those days so special is when it really sets up nicely because they're rare it's not every day um, but you can have fun on, on a crust that's not, you know, absolutely perfect. And that just takes, particularly in the spring, it'll just take, you know, two or three days of kind of warm temperatures during the day, cold at night to, to set up nicely. Are you bringing multiple pairs of skis up in case you get it wrong? Uh, should. Um, I think this past year we did, we usually bring backcountry skis also in case it was just terrible and we just wanted to, to backcountry ski. Sometimes we brought bikes depending on where we're going and we'll just go biking instead. <laughs> Um, or running shoes. We definitely brought running shoes a couple times. We're like, well, Some if it's if it's crappy, we'll just go for a run. Um, so yeah, good to bring bring a, a backup something because it's not fun. I had one day a couple years ago where we tried to ski Fawn Pass and we just went too early and got out there and on the flats right as we headed out, it was just making that whomping sound and we're just. I mean, I think it was not safe for avalanches and also just not a good crust in general. Um, just breaking through every. Kind of third glide, fourth glide, and so we had to turn around and go do something else. So good to have options, but um, that's also what's fun about it because you're often getting up super early in the morning. So it's like, oh, I hope this is worth it. <laughs> in some ways, it's like fishing. Like you can go out fishing, you know, every day over the course of a week, and you know, you might hit it just right three of those days and catch 20 fish, and then the other four catch nothing. It's like cross cruising, cross cross cruising, similar in that like. You know, you go out five times and you might get it really good one or two days, okay, like three days, and then just totally miss it and have to turn around the other two. But it makes those really good days that much more exciting. And this is a cool project. And I think there's, yeah, just so many places in and around Bozeman that, that are worth exploring. And I'm excited people are excited about doing it more um, because I think it's, it's no longer that like dorky sport that I grew up thinking it was. I think it's actually really cool. I think Andy's always known that. He's like someone who's like, yeah, cross country skiing is the most badass sport there. Well, he's like, you know, doing like freestyle jumps. On yeah, it, so it looks pretty. It's pretty true. Rad. But even if you don't do that, it's like it's pretty cool that you can get out in the middle of winter and kind of on two pairs of little skis, kind of go anywhere pretty quickly. Feels like freedom, right? Like your two feet can take you anywhere. It's like cross country skiing. You know, you don't necessarily have to have groom trails or, you know, a chairlift or or anything. Um, it's in the same way backcountry skiing's like that, except you get to move a little bit more quickly. Right. <laughs> um, backpacking versus running. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Great. Well, thanks for your time. Really yeah. Appreciate it. Thank really you. Interviewing you. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about skiing all summer. I don't know what's something wrong with me. I know. <laughs> well, we were in up in Glacier a few weeks ago, and there was uh, we were doing this like I don't know trail run point to point and. It just barely started snowing. I got so excited and I was like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for snow. Come back to thelastbestski.com for interviews and the scoop on skiing Southwest Montana. Until next time, happy trails.